Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help. From fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What is good, everybody? Welcome to Under Review with Stats and Vish on the Gold Standard Podcast Network. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Vish Kumar. And Vish, it's Monday after the 49ers put a whooping on the Eagles in Philly. Yeah, what a Monday, huh? Has has a Monday ever felt sweeter? Like when we go to when we go do our Monday activities, whether we walk through a grocery store, whether we go to work, whether we walk around, when the Niners win, I walk around with that much more pride, that much more of a pep to my step. I puff my chest out, I try to wear some Niners gear, and I let everybody know I had a good Sunday and if your team lost, your Sunday was miserable and f you for that. Amen. I walk around in this homage victory Monday shirt all day wherever i go on monday and this is this is a good monday since the dallas game really because it was hey this is our biggest rival we're still trying to get the number one seed obviously everything that happened last year all the talk everything all of it rolled into one and we're going to go through it we're going to go through drive by drive if you've uh, never listened to the show before this is where we take a second look at the game good bad or ugly we're going to go through and talk about everything But before we do, Vish, we got news because Kyle Shanahan had his day after game press conference and we got some injuries coming out of this game. Chiefly, Eric Armstead, who has knee and foot injuries. Kyle didn't give a a timeline or anything when it comes to how long he might be out or if he's going to be out. But that's the biggest of the injuries because he has been a force this year for the Niners. Yeah, top to bottom, outside of Nick Bosa, he might be their most consistent performing defensive player this season. He has been excellent. Now, I will say the silver lining is as good as he has been, the post-buy, 
the interior defensive line backups have really come along in starting to play well. Given specifically, I think, has strung together like two or three very good games in a row. Kinlaw <laughs> finally made a very noticeable impact, though I do think he's been playing better than years past yesterday. And then Kalia Davis was spotted at the end of the game, and he made a little bit of an impact too. Now, none of those guys are Eric Armstead, and that would be a monumental loss for the 49ers. He's one of their star players. But I guess there is a silver lining that they do have backups who have been performing competently Um given that he's a little bit banged up. And and in Armstead's case, they, they, I felt like this was something that hurt their defensive line last year. They definitely missed Eric Armstead being healthy for the majority of last year when he was dealing with plantar fasciitis, I think. Right, and that's if it's a foot injury and it's that, I mean, that can kind of crop up and flare up at any time. Kyle Shanahan didn't give a timeline. He said they're still gathering information. So, you know, we don't know. Maybe he'll be able to play next week. Maybe he won't. Uh, but that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Modelo time, 1999 on Twitch says victory Monday, baby spy. Nick danger says Brock MVP and reminds everybody to hit that like button. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Um, there are some other injuries. Ross Dwelly has a high ankle sprain. Maybe we get to actually see Braden Willis on the field as an actual tight end. It might be a cool thing. Spencer mm-hmm. Burford, his other knee is now bothering him. So that's going to be a thing to keep an eye on this week. Also, Darrell Luter is probably going to be out, and Ray Ray McLeod is still day to day. The returner thing scares me a little, Vish. I mean, Ronnie Bell had what, two returns on Sunday and fumbled one of them? Luckily, it went out of bounds. Yeah, one of them was like a very weird, like aggressive, like he runs all the way from the hash to the sideline to catch the punt and completely muffs it. And he muffed it bad. If if there he wasn't he wasn't right next to the sideline that one's bouncing way away from him and it's turning into mm-hmm. a big scrum to recover it. I'm with you on that. Although he looked very confident, like oh my bad, my bad. Like yeah, dude, you <laughs> just dropped a punt and nearly like do you know how much a muff punt is going to cost in a game like this? Um, but he looked really confident, so maybe they do have confidence. And I will say, yeah, the conditions were probably tricky to catch the punts because it was so misty yesterday. Yeah, um, I'm sure that it was tough to track the ball um and be able to do that so maybe they they won't miss uh ray ray mcleod as much as uh originally expected but i i will also say that um the burford thing is kind of disappointing not that you know it's a serious injury but it's that he has something he's dealing with this week when i thought this game in particular him coming back from injury feliciano seemingly playing a little bit better than him him coming back from injury, he had a big bounce back. I thought this was probably Burford's best game um, of the season in terms of just my raw watch on TV. And so I, I think it's a little bit disappointing that he gets a, a little bit of a setback right after he gets some confidence playing very well. Yeah, Kyle actually shouted him out during the conference call today. He said basically they wanted to work Feliciano in and they were going to go series by series, but Burford, they were saying, was holding up. So they didn't do that. So that's a credit to him. Again, we don't know timelines on any of these or what the status is Wednesday. They'll probably have more information. Andre Garibe, YouTube channel member, shout out to you, Andre says with Dwelly hurt, they should go after Ertz. Kyle was asked about that today. He said, well, you know, I don't know. John Lynch handles that, but he's a player I've always really liked. And you know, Vish, if it's a guy Kyle Shanahan has always liked, the Niners are at least going to sniff around. 100%. And I'm not usually into the Niners signing over the hill veteran players because I feel like every time one like Darius Leonard, for example, right? right? He gets cut and everybody's like the Niners go sign him. No, no, no. He's getting cut. Him getting cut is like Navarro Bowman getting cut in 2017. Yep. Once he had that back injury, that guy is done, right? He's not going to help the team out. But in this particular case, Ertz is a 
he fills a need that they need. I think the Niners would love to have the positional versatility of having two tight ends and being able to go 12 personnel at times um, and having him as a receiving threat. They've been looking for a second receiving threat at tight end. When they draft two tight ends, I don't think their intention is to have both Ross Dwelly and Charlie Warner back. Um, yeah. backing up George Kittle. They wanted to upgrade at the position. They were unable to because their young guys didn't perform yet. This would be a huge help. It's just, it seems like it's almost made for him to go back to Philly, doesn't it? Or Baltimore is lurking with the Mark Andrews Mark injury. Andrews. But in terms of availability and filling a need, Zach Ertz, I, it would be an incredible signing. He would 100% make the Niners better. Well, and the Niners could have put a claim on in on him, but they didn't. Uh, so now they're competing with everybody, but we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, but yeah, that's what Kyle said about it today. So that kind of gets you up to speed on the news of the day from the conference call. The only other thing was there was more chatter about uh, this head to quote unquote head of security for the Eagles. Kyle basically said like, Hey, I've heard he's a good guy. He didn't mean anything by that. The, the situation is dead. Although, dead from the Niners Eagles rivalry standpoint, I think he's going to get suspended by the league personally because the NFL has to send a message. You can't have guys doing that. You can't have non-coaches, non-players touching and, and essentially baiting members of the other team from the sideline. You can't do it. And so the league I think is going to punish him, but I don't know what that is. They're reviewing it now. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you. I was actually pretty ticked off in that moment. I mean, yesterday was an intense oh, yeah. game. Emotions were rising, but I was pretty ticked off. Cause to me, that was a moment um, where it felt like a fan. That was like a fan player interaction almost where a fan all of a sudden is coming in and putting hands on a player. I thought it was messed up. Um, he does. It does seem like by all accounts, that guy is actually a nice guy that people like. So again, if I don't know that there was malicious intent by it, I think, the reaction by the referees, they could have very easily let that go, and there wouldn't be much of a reaction other than that guy doesn't need to be on the sideline. But by ejecting Greenlaw, I think it added greater vitriol to him. My biggest gripe, actually, is with Kevin Burkhardt and Greg Olson. Oh, yeah. They sat there marketing that guy. They were out here publicizing him like he was a Philly folk hero, like he was Paul Bunyan. That was bullshit. He yeah. should not have gotten that kind of attention. There's a reason that in soccer games, when a fan runs off the field, they immediately don't show the field because they don't want to give that fan a viral attention to encourage other people to run onto the field because that viral attention might be more worth more than spending a night in jail. Um, I thought it was really messed up. And they talked about him. They were like, oh, good old Dom. Dom eats here. Dom this. Like, shut up. <laughs> like, seriously, right. shut up. That guy didn't need any more attention. I thought that was messed up. And they, for the entirety of the broadcast, they actually asked the question, why is he getting kicked out of the game? They never brought up the fact that this is a non-staffer, non-coach, non-player putting his hands on Dre Greenlaw. I, I thought it was very poor from them, the way they addressed that entire thing. And that was probably my biggest sticking point in all of it. I think the NFL will, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. On Twitch says, sets a dangerous precedent. Olsen joked that boombox guy for the Niners should fight Jalen Hurts to get him ejected. That's the point. If yeah. they don't do anything, what's to stop opposing coaches from hiring a bunch of bouncers, just have them stand on the sidelines, start shoving people. It doesn't cost the team anything to get them thrown out. So uh, I think the league is going to do something. I was furious during the game. I called out Olsen and Burkhart, which I Greg Olsen is my favorite analyst on TV right now, but though, you're right. The way they they happened to mention him earlier saying, oh, he gave us this great recommendation. And then 
this interaction happens with him completely breaking the rules and doing something unprecedented. And they're like, hey, he's a hero. He's, he's yeah, never he's Paul Bunyan. They're going to sell shirts of him in Philly. Right. I, I've never missed Joe Buck. I've never missed yeah. Joe Buck on a Fox game. But you know what? Joe Buck in that moment, he would have said the right things. Sign me two nine says them referring to him on a first name basis was ridiculous. They don't do that for anyone else on the sidelines. Sure. They didn't even say, they never said his last name. I don't think during the broadcast, it was like no, no. their friend, right? It, he is like their version of the boombox guy, right? But he's great as that folklore, whatever person, as long as he's not coming onto the field and yes. like, he had no reason to step in between Dre Greenlaw and Devonta Smith. That was just a normal football interaction on the sideline. If he never gets involved, Dre Greenlaw never gets amped up. They stare each other down like the, the Niners and Eagles did on 15 other plays in that game. Yep. They try to sh- they try to look at each other and say, I'm tough. No, you're tough. I'm tougher. You're tougher. <laughs> and then they walk back to the huddle and the game moves on. He was the one who created that entire ruckus. I completely agree. It was absurd. And Philly fans are all up in my mentions trying to tell me, number one, he did nothing wrong. And number two, get over it. You won anyway. Like, no. We lost an all-pro linebacker in the game because of this. And to be fair, I put the blame mostly on Greenlaw because he's still in control of his actions. He shouldn't have he shouldn't have tackled Devontae Smith when he tackled him, and he shouldn't have touched the, the guy even though he was provoked. But we still ended up losing an all-pro linebacker. An all-pro linebacker in a game that would go on like four plays later to be a one-score game. Look, I, I, I don't even agree there, actually. Originally, I was with you. I was with the Greenlaw tackle. I'm with you on the interaction. Yeah, that guy has no business touching him. And I think Greenlaw realized that he saw red for like half a second. He pokes his hand out there and then he's like, he's like, what's going on? And then he realized he's like, okay, I just need to let go. I, I need to, I can't do anything here. Um, but I, I, I agree that was probably too far. Um, but the suplex originally, I thought he, I thought um, Smith stepped out of bounds before he started the suplex. But Smith actually stays in bound. He kind of takes his back and he picks him up. The whistle was blowing. And then, he, and then the whistle blows and he kind of lets him go. I get why you call unnecessary roughness on that. But of all the Dre Greenlaw infractions, <laughs> this this was very this was very minor. This is not him just coming in out of nowhere late and punching a guy's arm. This is this is a little bit more tame because he is playing to the whistle. Yeah, it's just like. Every tackle you make shouldn't be like, oh, my God, we have to hold our breath to see if he's going to get a 15-yard penalty. Like, you could just tackle the guy, Dre. But anyway, it is what it is. We'll find out what happens. It Uh, doesn't help that Smith is like 145 pounds. Agreed. Chris Waddell says, I mean, was that tackle that bad? Smith's still struggling. Wasn't so bad to me. It was the fact that the whistle blew. It wasn't that he hit him out of bounds. It was that the whistle blew and you suplexed him. He dropped him, right? He he does he doesn't complete the suplex, but he just drops him in that position. He doesn't set him down, which I think they were. I saw somebody else saying that it's a point of emphasis as well that <laughs> no when you suplexing. have the guy in that position, you set him down, you don't suplex him. So it was I I the penalty warranted totally understand. Big Dom then coming in like he's Paul Bunyan saving the day right. like he's oh my god get out of here you friggin' yeah. clown it was ridiculous but anyway we'll see what happens with that I don't think I don't expect a, a suspension or anything for Greenlaw because he served his punishment by missing the rest of that game I don't think the league's gonna go further they better not anyway uh, we'll find out though all right let's get into it we've got a lot of drives to break down a lot of touchdown drives to break down Vish. I have to give so much credit to the defense because this game could have got away from the Niners. This was not the normal 49ers get out to a lead and just ride it out game. Eagles go right down the field on the first possession and not with the running game with Hertz throwing the ball 
AJ Brown making a big play and they get down to the red zone and it just broke down. The defense stiffened when they had to. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing, the thing also that's important is they are not only were bending and not breaking in terms of saving themselves in the football team. The first two third downs were early mistakes from the 49ers that allowed conversions. They had really good downs on first down and second down, and then they would get to third down and they went man coverage. I, I think Gibson had to be removed from the play because he was injured. A slant to A.J. Brown. Jair Brown is the robber right there. He's got to make the tackle. He doesn't make the tackle. A.J. Brown goes for 38 yards. Then they have a little play to the bubble to gain well. Gibson's flowing over. He gets there two yards before the line of scrimmage, and Gainwell's able to spin off of him and get the first down. So they had two missed tackles that could have been somewhat backbreaking because it's like we had them. We had them stopped, and then we made a mistake to let them over the top. But, you know, the drive ends with a really, really phenomenal, phenomenal play by uh, Mooney Ward in the end zone versus A.J. Brown one-on-one. Absolutely. By the way, brother MF and Bob says, love when you get riled up, Vish. I'm here for the violence. Chris Waddell says, I'm cool with Dre being the enforcer as long as he picks his moments. Bill Walsh used to tell Ronnie Lott to go get him 15 when they needed to get fired up. Yeah, there is a time and a place for that. At that time, that was not the right time for Dre Greenlaw. I thought Mooney Ward was awesome in this game. He has really been elevating his play, particularly against big physical receivers like Metcalf and A.J. Brown. I think the Niners benefited a little from an officiating crew that was willing to let him be a little handsy because that's really what Ward does. But I thought he was fantastic. He made multiple pass breakups in the game. He and Ambry Thomas combined for seven. And and it was another game. We talked about it last week, right? Versus Seattle, they took that chance with Jair Brown back there. They played a lot of man coverage, and they challenged these receivers at the line of scrimmage. They did the same thing, and, and A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith are a handful, and they got their numbers, but it, it was really tough. They made them work to get their numbers, and they made a lot of plays on the ball. And I'm glad you brought up the thing with the officials because I thought this first third down, Mooney Ward and A.J. Brown one-on-one, letting them both play because – Yes, Ward is physical, but A.J. Brown is the king of pushing off and running his routes borderline where is he pushing off, is he not? And he's very physically imposing. This was a great example because I thought there was consistency from the officiating crew from this first third down where they let them play the ball in the air to the next drive when Ambry Thomas has a pass breakup and they let them play the ball in the air and so on and so forth throughout this game. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Meanwhile, so the Eagles uh, had to settle for the field goal because of the great coverage. Hooray. That's a win. Niners get the ball, Vish, and they go three and out. They go two yards, minus two yards, excuse me. And, I mean, it was just like, I was like, oh, my God, are they getting overwhelmed? Like, are we going to get run out of the building here? I was nervous after that first drive. And and talk about it real quick. I'm just going to go grab something to drink, but I'll be right back. All right, perfect. Yeah, so that first drive was just the three plays, right? I think the first play... Um, was a pass deflection. They were trying to get Ayuk on quick game. Um, he, it was a deflection. The second, the second play, they try, I think Hassan Reddick immediately blows up the play by beating Colton McKivitz around the edge. And Brock Purdy steps through the pocket and gets sacked for maybe a one. I think maybe it was a three-yard loss, which then put him in third and 13. They try to work Christian McCaffrey in man coverage versus a linebacker on like a deeper out. I think Brock Purdy sails it. Um, and it, w- it was kind of just a situation where the entire process of that drive felt rushed. It felt like that first down pass deflection, once they got out of their rhythm, it felt like they didn't find it. And the three and out was very quick because there wasn't a run in the drive. It was just the sack and three dropbacks. The three and out felt fast. It felt like the big win that the Niners defense just got 
that momentum was completely surrendered because Philly had gone on a five minute drive and the Niners probably had the ball for what, 35, 40 seconds, Rob? Uh, it was lightning quick. It was a minute and two seconds. Okay. Yeah. So felt we're talking fast. about a really fast turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It definitely felt faster to me. Uh, brother Bob, I know you had a comment there about the DeAndre Swift hit when Demo made Swift pray for forgiveness. That was a shot at the end of the game, but it was totally, it was a clean hit. So Eagles can't complain about that. So then Philly gets the ball back and it was like, same thing all over again, right down the By field. The way, that was again. on the quarterback too. DeAndre Swift. I hope Jalen Hurts is sending him. Yeah. He, uh, he, he threw, threw him into the hit. So Philly's going down third and three again. Where do they go? AJ Brown, 17 yards. And they start moving down the field and it's not runs. They're not running the ball for anything. It's all Jalen Hurts passing. It's missed tackles. It's conversions on third down. But <laughs> I, I can't explain this, Vish. Second and six from the Niners 14 yard line. Jalen Hurts drops back. He's under no pressure. He's sitting back there. He's directing guys left, right, and center. And then he just falls down. And Javon Kinlaw gets his first sack since 2020. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm glad you went to this play because this, to me, um, brings up a greater point about the 49ers defense throughout the game and how they were rushing Jalen Hurts. Because I saw a lot of tweets about, well, they weren't getting pressure on Jalen Hurts or they weren't like getting instant pressure on Jalen Hurts. But to me, the way I saw the game, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, is I thought they had a very specific rush plan for Jalen Hurts. They understood that on third downs and stuff, the quarterback draws Jalen Hurts attacking the line of scrimmage, getting in between the guards and centers and mm -hmm. running is the most dangerous thing. So to me, they were very cognizant of keeping their rush level below Jalen Hurts. Now, Philadelphia has a very good offensive line, but I, I thought the Niners' rush plan was to keep Hurts kind of in the pocket. And if you noticed, and this, this play to me is an example, Jalen Hurts, and this is why, Rob, I'm still not 100% sure where I land on this Jalen Hurts conversation. I know he's a good quarterback, but I, I, I again, I... Beyond that, when people start saying he's with Mahomes and he's with Allen and those guys, I don't necessarily see it. And here's an example of why. When they rushed him this way, Rob, and they kept him in the pocket, yes. if his first option isn't open, he's looking to run and turn it into an off schedule anyway. He's such a terrific runner. Mm -hmm. He's such a great and accurate passer when he gets outside of the pocket that he's looking to do that anyway. So this play was an example of the pocket's completely clean. Hertz can stand in there all day in the middle of the pocket, dance around, move his feet, find space, and find a way to make a throw. But he wants to get out because he wants to make a play. He wants to turn this into an off schedule. That number one's not available, and he's not really ready to play within the rhythm of the offense. And so this, to me, was an issue with Hertz that the Niners were trying to highlight, I felt like, the entire game. And I, I thought this was an example because we compared him to Russell Wilson, right? This is the Russell Wilson effect. You yeah. keep him in the pocket and he can't create an off schedule. This is what he does. This is why I don't know how you can put him in the MVP conversation. He takes sacks. This is a terrible sack to take. And he took like two or three more like this in this or one or two more in this football game. I've seen him take sacks like this throughout the year. You can't be an elite level quarterback and take sacks like this. The 49ers, I believe, had 47 or 40, 46 pressures in the game because Jalen Hurts kept holding on to the damn ball right. so long. He lost 15 yards on the sack. That killed any chance of scoring in the red zone. Eagles had to settle for a field goal. By the way, Chris Waddell says, uh, I'm, I know the Eagles weren't successful, but I'm surprised how quickly they just abandoned the run game. I was worried their line was going to push us around. Me too. I was worried about uh, Swift specifically, and his longest run of the day was, I think, seven yards. So they did an excellent job stopping the run. And the Niners, I mean, 
the game starts as poorly as it could start almost for them, and yet they're only down six nothing. And and with the run game too, I will say to to defend Jalen Hurts too. I I think they miss Shane Steichen, man. Their offense doesn't really make sense uh, to me. Like, do you like? I've have you ever seen an offense where on first down they'll come out and spread you out, try to throw it. Then second down they'll go all the way condensed and go power run. Then third round they're tush push offense. Like what they don't like have a tie into me. It feels like they try and find something that works. And then against other teams, they're able to find what works and stick with it for like a half, win that half and win the game. Like we talked about last week, Rob, you, you can't, you can't be surrendering that kind of stuff against this team. They'll, they'll eat you up. That's unfortunate. The Eagles don't have their stuff together. Isn't it? Uh, yeah, Jesse Garcia so says Robbie gold was right about Jalen hurts. Remember Robbie gold said, if you make him play quarterback, you can beat him. A lot of yeah, but that, I, I I feel like I can say that about 99% of the league. You make them really play quarterback from the pocket, <laughs> you can beat them. Uh, not the quarterback we have, I'll tell you that. Uh, so, okay, Niners hold. It's 6-0. They get the ball back, and I was like, all right, great job by the defense. One one drive here, and we got the lead. We're right back in it. We're going to we're gonna get on it now. Kyle's in the scripted play. We're, we're all right. right. It, that that one drive was a blip that we've yeah. seen the Niners start fast before, like every scoring, every first drive besides the one you bet on, they've scored a touchdown on. <laughs> yes. You didn't bet on this one, so they should bounce back. And instead, they go right outside to Debo on an outside run to the right and immediately lose four yards. And that was the theme on those two drives. Negative plays on first down, or at least no gain plays on first down. And it kind of blew up the whole plan for the possession. Yeah, so this this one is the rare Brock Purdy mistake here. They they're running this is an RPO. They're running the I think Christian McCaffrey's open to the bubble. He hands it off and the middle linebacker ends up unblocked and tackles Oops. Debo, but if he throws this to the bubble, this is a positive gain on first down. So this is a Brock Purdy mistake in my opinion. The rare one, probably that that's a that's a Jimmy Garoppolo twice a game mistake where hey ball's supposed to go to the bubble why are you handing it off, um, but yeah. First two drives for the 49ers, six plays, minus six yards, and that was it for the first quarter. Vish, that was the 49ers' offensive output, and it's weird. But after the first quarter, I was like, you know what? I've seen a lot of teams have a quarter like this and be able to bounce back. The Niners have done it to other teams and they've bounced back a little bit. So I was scared a little, but I wasn't like full-blown panic mode. And apparently, according to Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy, neither were the Niners. Yeah, and and that was the one thing I noticed about the Niners. They didn't look like out of sorts. They just looked like a team that couldn't like get their rhythm in the first quarter. Like they just couldn't find that spot to get their rhythm. And we're going to talk about it because it does actually take something to get their rhythm going. Like the next drive doesn't immediately come back and it's first down. They take, you know, and get a chunk game. The next drive, that first set of three downs is bumpy. And I think it's a really important turning point in this game. And it, and it goes to show Brock Purdy's grittiness um, in converting that next third down. But you're absolutely right. I, I, I also felt similarly to you because I looked at the Niners. I looked at them and I said, I've seen this team look out of sorts. They don't look out of sorts right now. But they're also not getting anything going. And 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 they did weather the Philadelphia storm, right? Keeping it to only six points. A hundred percent. And then you kind of felt it turn a little because then the Eagles got the ball back and they go three plays. They only gain three yards and they have to punt. And that was the first time I was like, okay, all right, we figured and it out. Three and out. 
Go ahead. I, I was just about to say, to me, that three and out was shocking. Uh, my bad for interrupting you, because what no, no. I was going to mention is the one thing that had me concerned on our previous talking point when we were going from the first quarter to the second quarter is Philly held the ball for five minutes on the first drive, and the Niners gave it back in, you said, a minute and two seconds. Then yep. I think Philly held the ball for another six minutes, and I, I think the Niners, this might have been like a two-minute, 30-second drive because they ran it on first down. 101. Okay, so just as fast. So that was the only thing where it was like, this defense has played so well. Can they sustain or do they have enough energy for Philly getting the ball right back? Because this was basically two very sudden changes for them because the Niners didn't do anything on offense. And conversely with the offense, I was like, Philly's defense is so tired coming into this game. We got to sustain drives. We got to take advantage of that. And they weren't doing it early. So I was nervous about that aspect. Chris Waddell says Kyle needs to delete the slow developing run plays. Sometimes those are frustrating. A lot of times they work, especially later in the game, but sometimes they can definitely be frustrating. So the Niners forced a three and out, and I was like, okay, we've adjusted now. That's a great sign. We're still in this thing. Let's get the ball back, and let's go down the field. And then immediately, first and 10, Christian McCaffrey, no gain. Second and 10, false start, Spencer Burford. And I'm like, is this really happening? Now I feel like it's starting to snowball, but then – Big play. And, and and this was something that I wrote about on our website, goldstandardniners.com. Brandon Ayuk makes a catch on second and 12, uh, second and 15, excuse me. And Ayuk didn't have a ton of catches in this game, but almost all of them were impactful. Ayuk gets 12 yards on second and 15. That sets up an easily convertible third and three, changed the whole tenor of the possession and really allowed the Niners to sort of get their footing a little bit. I agree. And I felt like this was the first like minor adjustment in the game because the Eagles were playing a lot of off coverage to start this game and giving a big cushion to both Debo and Ayuk and the Niners in the beginning of this game. They maybe only did it two or three times, but they threw the very easy free access out routes where if you're going to play eight yard off, Ayuk's just going to eat that space and turn out and Purdy's going to throw it with good timing. Um, and anticipation, and that's going to be a free eight yards. They did it early in this game. Brandon Ayuk's first three or four catches in this game were all just, we're going to just have Brandon Ayuk run an out route versus off coverage, and it's just going to be pitch and catch with him and Brock Purdy. And that was the first adjustment to me. They found him and made it third and three. And then the third and three was kind of a tricky play because it felt like what Brock Purdy wanted on the right side was taken away, and he kind of makes a gritty turn in the pocket, comes all the way back to his left, It's actually a really far throw because he throws it from the far hash all the way to the sideline. So for a three-yard gain, it's a very far throw. Kittle goes to the ground and makes the catch. Um, He's, I think, covered. Kevin Byard was the nearest zone defender on the play. But that was a big turning point because that was a gritty first down conversion. They barely got it. The Niners needed that so badly because that was what got them the rhythm on offense. And it was a very gritty play from Purdy doing the opposite of Hurts where – Nothing is there, but the pocket's clean. I'm going to stay standing in here, keep fu- trying to find something, shuffle around, shuffle around, and he finally was able to come all the way back um, and find Kittle. Brother Bob says, Ayuk showed Slay is trash. Debo did the same on everybody. Yeah, Debo was uncoverable. The thing I liked about that conversion, too, is Kittle didn't try and catch it and run and break tackles. Kittle right. was like, I'm just going to secure this thing and get down. He was going to the ground as he caught the ball anyway. He was one yard past the marker. Like I, everybody recognized like, Hey, we just got to get this first down and then we'll be okay. Right. And then they were rolling fish. They were absolutely rolling. Ayuk had another nine yard catch. Christian McCaffrey got stopped on second and one. Another out route too. I think the yep. next catch was another out route. 
And then they just start going. Debo Samuel, 13 yards. Christian McCaffrey, 11 yards. George Kittle, 32 yards on a beautiful play design by Kyle Shanahan. Mm -hmm. Kyle Mm -hmm. was, was determined to take advantage of some of the aggressiveness by the Eagles front. And he did it on that play where Kittle looks like he's going to block the edge rusher. He, he kind of chips. It's a little more than a chip, but not quite a block. And then he separates and who's coming around the edge to replace him is Aaron Banks, the left guard who's pulling and Kittle is wide ass open for a huge catch and run rumble. And then I thought like the juices really started to flow for the Niners. Yeah. And, and I thought he set a physical tone too, with the way he rumbled on that. Um, And I, I, I'm so glad the way you described that, because to me, from that moment, it felt like Shanahan had the Eagles. Like once he got that first first down and he got a rhythm and pace to his play calling, it was over because he had the Eagles defense by their neck in that game. Like that was in terms like that will go into me and Kyle Shanahan's like in terms of just games that are just dominated by a play caller. And he has had he's had a lot of great game plans, but just games where he thoroughly dominates individually. This was one of them. He was in complete control of the pace and everything. And the way he got his players to buy in, not be worried about last year, not be worried about that and be locked into performing in this game. It was one of his best coaching performances of his career in a game that, you know, you and I last week said he was our numbers, number one concern coming into it. So shout out to him for that. I'm going to give him a little credit for something he did later in the game in that area too. But I I know you will. I know you were so happy about that. You know it's a problem when I go check your Twitter every time they turn go for it on fourth down. I thought they used Kittle. The way they used Kittle earlier in the game was so nice. Like, he has at least 60 yards receiving, I think, in five of his last six games. Like, they are using him as as a receiver, as a kind of stabilizing force for the offense. There's so many ways for Kyle to get him open, and I just I love the way they did it in this game, and particularly with that play on that drive. He and, also has great timing with his peaking, doesn't he? Yes. In every season. Like, I feel like the last couple weeks, he's really started. Like, he's played – he was playing well at the beginning of the year, but I felt like, man, his blocking has lost a little bit of a step, and he's still really good as a receiver. But they clearly have him as the fourth option in this offense. Like, that's just how players are being called. Well, Debo got hurt. He started getting healthier. He started getting the ball more. And now it's not really like that. He's involved in every game. He's blocking at a high, high, high level, and he's still an outstanding receiver. Jesse Garcia says, Kyle put the birds in a blender. Brother Bob says, the the Eagles secondary is all trash, scared to tackle. I mean, that's Kyle's general philosophy is that make the secondary have to tackle, especially against the guys the Niners have, and he thinks he's going to be successful. And right after the Kittle play, Vish, Brock Purdy scrambles out. And I think the Eagles felt like we're going to go for the kill shot. We're going to light this guy up. And they try a little shoulder tackle on him. And he just bounces right off and continues on down his way. He almost kind of gave a little high step after that, too, as he went towards the sideline. He took a couple shots on that play. But, he, you know, he makes those plays that gives everybody juice. Oh, 100%. This was great because Bradley Roby had the angle on him. And he somehow beats him to the outside. And then Reed Blankenship comes in and cleans him up. And the funny thing was, he, he ex- I don't think he expected to hit him and bounce back, but it was a legit football hit because Brock, Brock, Brock Purdy is a small quarterback, but like there's a reason they call him Baby Bosa for those quads because he's thick. Yep, not from the legs down. He's oh. nice. Okay, so Niners get the first down. They're going in the possession. 
and it's third down, third and goal, and Purdy throws to Kittle. I thought there was some contact, but it's incomplete. They don't call an interference. And then, like, 30 seconds later, all of a sudden, there's a flag that comes in, and the Eagles lined up in the neutral zone. The Fox broadcast did not show the look down the line, so I couldn't really tell if Josh Sweat was lined up offsides, but that's what they called. Niners get another chance. Brock Purdy rolls out. Brandon Ayuk in the back of the end zone. Touchdown. Niners lead. Niners lead. And everybody kind of exhales a little bit. Yeah. And and this was like, I, I still feel like this drive, like when you look at the momentum of everything that happened after this drive, I don't think it pr- puts into perspective how clutch this drive was in the moment. Like that third down to Kittle was like just a clutch play. Even the third and one they convert on the shallow cross to Debo. Like for me, that was like a heart drop. Like heart was racing. Oh, it was okay. It was a nice, like gritty clutch completion and all of that. And then even the touchdown pass with the way the drive came down to it. And then Sweat, I think, lined up in the neutral zone three different times in this game. And they called it, I think, all three times. Um, And so I I agree. They didn't show the shot. So I'm going to believe he did it because of that was my point with mentioning that. Mm -hmm. Um, But but even this touchdown throw, the fact that they had to review it, the fact that that ball moved ever so slightly, even though Ayuk's hand was under it, it was all a little bit of tension, but it all ultimately culminated with the right result. And then they started rolling. It was unbelievable. Philly gets the ball back third and 19. And I thought this was an issue that had come up multiple times in the day. Third and 19, the Niners were playing super far off. And they were giving the Eagles a lot of free yards. And they throw a little screen because that's what every team does on third and long. And Devontae Smith bounces off a tackle and gets a first down. And I was like, this is exactly the momentum you don't want to give them. But luckily for the 49ers, they buckled down. And the Eagles didn't get another first down in the drive. And they had to punt. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. 100%. And that was the second Jair Brown missed tackle of the game. And so this was kind of what we were talking about last Monday when when I was saying, well, I don't know how well he's played because we didn't get to see him other than he played snaps in the post versus Seattle. Um, The first third down of this game was an opportunity where they started in too high. They roll him down. They play, you know, one robber man coverage across the board. He's the robber and he's got a tackle in the hole, him versus AJ Brown, tough tackle to make, but he gets, he gets run over. Then this one right here, Devonta Smith, he's coming down. He's got to make a tackle in the alley, something we hadn't seen him do. He comes and closes the space. He's a little too high, and Devonta Smith kind of just bounces right through it and takes his momentum and goes for a first down. So two mistakes from him early in the game. Obviously, he's a very young player that's learning on the fly. Yep. Um, and so it, it's nice to see that the Niners can overcome him having his rookie moments and stick with 
him even in a game of this magnitude um, and keep his confidence up. Because I, I, I do think overall he kind of settled in and ended up playing fine in this game. But early in this game, rookie jitters, such a big game. You miss two tackles, especially two third down tackles that lead to big gains on third down. You could lose your confidence in your momentum real fast. It just goes to show how strong the Niners poise is this year. They, they've been through the ringer. They should have this kind of poise. So the Eagles punt and they pin the 49ers to the 10-yard line. And this was the drive, I think, where you really started to feel, number one, the fatigue of the Eagles defense. And you really started to feel like these adjustments by the Niners are going to stick, that they are going to start having their way with Philly. And they did on the drive. 10 plays, 90 yards, not a single third down on the drive. That's how well the Niners moved the ball. Kittle had another explosive play for 25 yards on the drive. Uh, Brandon Ayuk had a 13-yard catch on first down. Mm-hmm. They, I think just, that was another out route, too. That was the third one. It was just like when the machine is working for the Niners, like I said, they don't even have third down. Forget having, you know, getting first downs. It's just first down, second down, first down, second down. And they moved right down the field, 10 plays, 90 yards. You do the math. That's an average of nine yards per play. And Christian McCaffrey runs it in the end zone, basically untouched. And all of a sudden, the Niners are the ones in control of the game. Um, A hundred percent. And I, I felt like this was the drive where it felt like the Niners offensive line is creating movement. They're creating momentum because they started running the ball in between the tackles. And once they started doing that, it felt like, dang, the Eagles defense doesn't really have an answer for this. They were setting these wide edges and had this wide front and the Niners were just getting up and in between them and they were moving people in the run game. And I, I feel I felt like I didn't feel like it in the moment, Rob. But now looking back at this game, I felt like how easy that drive was, was would have been very threatening for Philly, especially because the 49ers were past midfield when the two minute warning hits on this drive. And they were basically able to slow the entire game down and go at their pace where they give the Eagles the ball back without either of their timeouts with 38 seconds and said, do something on offense. So they were able to control the clock to end the first half, knowing they were getting the ball back, which is the second part that I thought was backbreaking about this drive. It wasn't just that they moved the ball down with utter ease. It was the fact that they were able to control the clock while moving the ball down with utter ease. And I felt like that was a very, very bad moment for Philly. Thank you for pointing that out. Shame on me. The drive starts with four minutes and 37 seconds left in the half. The Niners were at the Eagles 40 yard line at the two minute warning. You're right. And then they slowed it down still while not facing a third down. And they scored the touchdown with McCaffrey with 38 seconds left. That is a masterful job of clock management by Kyle Shanahan and the Niners. Wetbridge says I was in Philly for the game. Their fans started out real loud and cocky, got quiet real quick. Uh, Knees says, I feel like no one's talking about the pass where Brock threw it before McCaffrey was out of his break. We saw that overthrown earlier in the year. Don't worry. The we'll next get, drive. The next we'll drive. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, He's talking about the out and up, right? Yes. Okay. Great, great play. Absolutely a great play, which we will get to. Um, but, we, you know, we're doing a thing here. So Niners score 14-6. Eagles get the ball back. They have no time. They, you know, you thought maybe they might try and be aggressive. There was 38 seconds left. They threw on first down. But it was incomplete, and then they just ran it, and that was the end of it. And they were booed off the field by their own fans in a 14-6 to game. Booed off the field, Vish. Where they dominated the first quarter. Right. right. Gave up negative six yards in the first quarter. <laughs> That's a tough fan base, man. I agree. James, a crazy group of people. 
Cry, eagles cry on the road to misery. Sigh, eagles sigh. Blow hey, the Rob. Tapes. Rob, Rob, Rob. You got to understand, though. Rain, sleet, or snow, eagles got to go. <laughs> oh, thank you, James T. Kirk. See, that's the kind of content we, we expect from our YouTube channel members. Second half of the game. Niners up 14-6. They get the ball, and they proceed to march 75 yards down the field in seven plays. Actually face two third downs on this drive. So Philly really slowed him down, and we can get into it if you want. The pass to Christian McCaffrey that as the pass is in the air, Vish, it's third and three. Brock Purdy, like, they didn't run it, which scared me a little. And when he throws me, or when he throws the pass, I was like, oh, no, he's got him open and it's in, it's going to be incomplete. For some reason in my mind, maybe it was the camera angle or something. But when the ball's in the air, I'm like, he missed it. It's not there. And then all of a sudden it's the angle of it's the angle of I know exactly what you're describing. It's because of where the linebacker is, because they it's kind of in choice and up. They ran it. Uh, knees is right. They ran it earlier in the year and he missed it. I think that, that was the um, Giants game that they ran it and he missed the throw. And so they come right back to it. And you're right. The way the linebackers position, because he's still kind of square because of the out. Mm -hmm. um, It's, it's a very, it's a very, very, like, it's a very, very like finicky angle, but you're right. He kind of just drops it in the bucket. It's a great throw. 33 yards on the catch and run. It was at the Eagles 45 yard line is where the Niners line of scrimmage was on that play. Obviously drive continues. And then the next play Kyle, again, takes advantage of aggressiveness from Philly, specifically Hassan Reddick, who loves to just crash, right? He's not concerned about the play action, right? Yep. Everyone should yep. know that, right? Well, what does Kyle do? He runs a little reverse to Debo Samuel, absolutely screws Hassan Reddick into the ground, twisting, trying to get back when Debo blows right past him. Kittle doesn't have to block him, too, which is key because George blocks two guys down the field, and Debo runs it into the end zone, and then we're like, the route is on. Hundred percent, and I do want to mention something because I, I felt like we started our show a couple weeks ago where we talked about, hey, I don't see the same guy from twenty twenty one with Debo Samuel. Yes, um, I thought in this game and even at this point, before we even hit the two plays that really turned this into, oh my god, this is Debo's moment, this is his game, all of that. Even at this point, I felt like there was a different juice to Debo when he was turning and running. There was that gear that we saw in 2021, the gear that turns, you know, what Shanahan described in the game after as plays that you design for six, seven yards that he turns into touchdowns. That was what made Debo special. We weren't questioning whether he was still a good player. We were looking for this. And and this is the Debo that I, I feel like we fully expect to see, because this is the Debo that gets $28 million. And now we're going to go on to the drives that show why he got $28 million. We should point out, as Nick Wagner did on Twitter, Debo Samuel hit 20 miles per hour twice on Sunday. He hit 20.45 on the touchdown run, which is the third fastest time by a Niners ball carrier this year. He hit over 20 miles an hour on the 46-yard touchdown, and he hit almost 20 miles per hour on the 48-yard touchdown. But you said it. That was the good old days, Debo Samuel. We didn't know if that guy still existed. Well, guess what? Turns out he absolutely did. Oh, seeing Hassan Reddick just completely flummoxed on that play was <laughs> awesome. It was therapeutic for my soul. I needed it, Vish. I had to that's have a, That's so funny. 
That's so funny. But it, it, I agree with you. I That did feel good. Just because of all the talk about Hassan Reddick this, Hassan Reddick that, Hassan Reddick this, Hassan Reddick this. It was so nice to see that. And Jesse Garcia also mentions in the comments and is absolutely right. One thing you can't question about Debo Samuel is that guy is a big game player. Anytime the Niners need him to perform in a big moment in any sort of scale, um, he, he, he performs his best. Brother Bob says, of course, the Eagles got booed off the field at halftime. You boo trash off the field like I boo PP. You know who PP is? Uh, no. Oh, it's Pig at a Pickle. Brother Bob has a personal agenda where he sends a dollar at a time to uh, uh, talk to Larry Kruger uh, <laughs> and insult him. A dollar at a time. It's a right. very interesting the relationship between him and uh, Larry. Chris Waddell says Garoppolo would have thrown the ball to McCaffrey out of bounds. Uh, we've seen McC uh, Garoppolo miss that play multiple times, but you know what? That's the magic of divorce. I don't have the to think about The first quarter would have rattled Garoppolo too. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely 100%. And uh, it was interesting. Before the game, during the week, they asked Brock, where are you better now than you were last year? And he said where he thinks he's better is kind of blocking out the noise, dealing with all that stuff, and quieting and calming people down in the huddle. And Brock even said, I don't think I was that guy last year. And it came in handy this year and yesterday specifically. His poise is just incredible, isn't it? He just is always in control, always ready with the moment, always just ready to do the right thing um, and do his job the right way. I, Rob, where I'm like somewhat like, I, I don't know how to describe what he's doing sometimes. Just because, like, I felt like some of the things we talked about last year, right? And I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, his arm is stronger and all of that. The one thing that we discounted with him, and I felt like for whatever reason, it never became a point of conversation, is how much playing more football would benefit him. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing, and, and I, there was a point, I think, at like week four or week five, even to this year, and he's played pretty great from the start of this year to all the way up till now. It's been like pretty consistently excellent football from Brock Purdy. But I do think even there, there was a point where you can see his chemistry with Brandon Ayuk is on a different level now. You can see his chemistry with the Debo, with the Kittle is on a different level now. And his comfortability in the offense, yes, he knows the offense really well, but now he knows the answers against the looks that they're getting so well. That's why we're seeing him limit sacks. We're seeing him move in the pocket more efficiently. Like all these little veteran things as a quarterback that we picked on last year because he was a young player, we're seeing these subtle improvements. And I, I don't know that we highlighted enough on a week-to-week -week because it's so easy to highlight his performance simply by pointing out what the numbers are because right. the numbers pretty much represent he's playing excellent. But these are the little improvements I feel like we've seen especially. And this game was a great example. The way he doesn't take sacks is one of the most important skills. To me, it's the opposite of – him and Jalen Hurts and those kinds of moments. And that's all just him playing more football, more comfortable with his weapons, more comfortable in this offense, more comfortable with how people are defending him. And unfortunately, his predecessor is our easiest comparison to show directly how he's doing something better or worse than somebody else. And what makes him so much better than his predecessor is I, I can't tell you how many times we complained about his predecessor's inability to improve in all of these areas. And all we said was just be Kirk Cousins and the Niners can win a Super Bowl. And not that it's easy to be Kirk Cousins because he executes an offense so well, but it, we felt like it's not even that the Niners need a Mahomes. They just need one of those guys who's a high-level executor. Like they can win with the second time to tear up quarterback. And 
I don't exactly know where Brock Purdy fits into the landscape of the league, but that's where he's so much better than his predecessor because all the things that we requested his predecessor to be, he has become. Josh Dubow had the tweet one year ago today, Jimmy Garoppolo broke his foot. In comes Brock Purdy, his passer rating 114.2, 39 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 9.1 yards per attempt, including the playoffs. And the Niners 17 and four in those games. Absolutely incredible what Brock Purdy has done. And I saw a comment. I want to point this out. Um, Shoot, no, cool. here it is. JJ00 on Twitch says, Mike Sando's article in The Athletic has me on the MVP Purdy train. 100%. And spoiler alert, that's going to be the one thing to read in tomorrow's 49ers in five. Mike Sando has an article in The Athletic. Purdy's MVP case is easier to argue for than against. If anybody says that Brock Purdy is not the MVP because of Yak or because uh, he throws the ball short or because of the supporting cast around him, go read this article you will have all the ammunition you need to shut those people down. It is incredibly well done, Vish. Have you have you read it? Did you see it? No, not yet. Unfortunately, my Mondays aren't as efficient with sports news ever since I've had to be in the office and uh, my data connection isn't so great there. Uh-huh. But I, I, I will say that I'm not shocked by it. Any other quarterback in this position would have an MVP argument. To me, the MVP of football is still Christian McCaffrey. But if you want to say Brock Purdy is second, I'm all for it. I, I think he 100% is in the conversation. Um, I, I saw this yak number. I think somebody else, I think Chris Broussard, because I had to go see what Nick Wright had to say today. Like, I had to go see it. So I think Chris Broussard put up the same numbers, actually, on their show today. Um, but I, I think the bigger thing with the MVP conversation and what frustrates me, and I, I don't know, Rob, if you saw, I got in a little bit of a Twitter argument about this in regard to Jalen Hurts. Um, credentials as an MVP favorite and front runner is that it's totally based on the narrative that the media wanted to push. And I thought there was a big irresponsibility after the Buffalo Bills Eagles game where the national media, and this is the Nick Wrights of the world, they came on and they, they, they took, they took Josh Allen to town for one mistake. That was a very good play by James Bradbury and then put Jalen hurts on a pedestal for a game that he was pretty awful in for, for a larger majority of it. And for 32 yards in the first half. And and where I get frustrated with that conversation is he benefits also from his supporting cast greatly. Of course, and for whatever reason, we want to push a narrative that he's clutch. He's this because we like what he says post game, right? He's a great guy post game. He has very quotable things. And then you associate that with what's happening on the field. And you put together this amazing story to turn him into the MVP. And that's my biggest issue with this. Because instead of objectively looking and understanding what represents the MVP each NFL year, we try to drum up a narrative to turn a guy in the end into the mm-hmm. MVP. We turn him into that. And so that's where a guy like Purdy, I feel like if his story was any different, then we look at the games that he played quote-unquote poorly during the Niners' three-game losing streak very differently. Because he didn't play that badly. His game, his worst games this year outside his was the Browns game. That was a bad game. But other than that, like Hertz has had worse games than he played versus the Vikings or versus the Bills or versus the Bengals, excuse me. Dak has had worse games than Purdy played versus the Vikings versus the Bengals. And so that's where the candidacy, I, I feel like so much of it is reliant on the media building a story for the player and selling that story. I feel like sometimes they're very disingenuous in how they pick and choose to sell the story. Like, for example, with Jalen Hurts the last few weeks. And I, that's where I think they missed out on selling the story for Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey, to be honest. 
the fact that Christian McCaffrey hasn't even been talked about like that, like people are out here, oh, Tyree kill this, Tyree kill that. Well, if you're putting Tyree kill there, Christian McCaffrey too. Absolutely. McCaffrey has to be there. 17 touchdowns on the season. Second highest single season total for any 49er. Jerry Rice's mythical 1987 when he had 23 touchdowns in 12, in 12 games, games. Uh, is the only one that's been more successful on that front. But Vish, we got a lot more drives to go. So let's, let's get to it. Niners up 21-6. And this is the Eagles drive where we get the Dre Greenlaw play. Right. Where the interaction with uh, Joe Goomba over there on the sideline. And the Eagles end up getting a touchdown on back-to-back brotherly shoves. Get him in the end zone. Everybody's pumped up because it's a one-score game now. It's 21-13. And you're like, man, Niners felt like they had control of this game. But, you know, it's a one-possession game. They're three and out away or a turnover away from really letting the Eagles back in it. And I thought this was the most important play of the game. Came when the Niners got the ball back. Third and seven, five minutes and 27 seconds to go in the in the third quarter. Purdy had been sacked on the first play of that drive. The crowd is going nuts. Eagles have all this momentum, right? Because their big hero just got thrown out of the game. Dre Greenlaw has been ejected. Christian McCaffrey runs for five yards on second down. It's third and seven. And if the Niners go three and out, it's going to be holy crap. Here we go. Eagles come back. Fly, Eagles fly, all that stuff. And Brock Purdy drops back, goes through his progression, starts out left, goes to the right. Hits Brandon Ayuk on third and seven on a big nice boy throw. Come back under pressure outside the numbers. Big boy throw conversion first down. And it was like whew, the air went out of the stadium. They were like, wait, this, this isn't going to happen. What? And I thought it was a huge play in the game, huge throw and Brock Purdy. It got lost in the shuffle because of all the other big plays. But I thought that was a big boy, big time throw from him. I agree. To me, there were two plays that were turning points in this game. One was the earlier Kittle third down that was kind of grimy. We talked about how they got that right, the first third and three. And then the other one was this one. This was a big spot in the game, like you mentioned. It felt like this was the moment in the game that it could flip right back into the Eagles' favor because the Eagles had one of those classic Eagles drives where they don't really look smooth getting the ball up the field, but somehow third down after third down, Hurts and Jalen or A.J. Brown make a play, Hurts and Smith make a play, and they get it up there and they score, and now they come back on defense. The crowd's rolled up. Like, this is what they'd been doing the last couple weeks, and it felt geared up, set up, right for the same exact thing. Dre Greenlaw's ejected all of that, and Purdy stands in there on third and seven in the face of pressure and makes a big-time throw to Brandon Ayuka. Another out route, I think, actually. Yep. I think that was the fourth one. And the Niners just kept rolling after that. They get the first down. Then they go Christian McCaffrey, 16 yards. And the next play. Behind Trent Williams. The next play is Debo being Debo. He catches a ball over the middle. He breaks one tackle. And then it was like he had a rocket strapped to his back. He takes off over the middle of the field. And it was like nothing is going to stop this man from getting into the end zone. Next Gen Stats had a beautiful tweet that I'm trying to pull up. If you are the 0.01% chance of scoring, yes, when, when he caught the ball, when Debo caught the ball, he had a 0.1% chance of scoring 43 yards after the catch. There's the dots on the screen. If you're watching on the screen, it was incredible vintage Debo. 
A hundred percent. There's one, there's like two other players in the NFL that are breaking that tackle that are keeping their balance and are strong enough to then explode immediately after that and score on that play. It's him, Tyree kill Jamar chase. It's that conversation. Those are the only guys that are doing something like that. It was the most, it was, that was Debo. That was like special. That was like heartbreaking. It's like, they just, we just got the momentum. And then that guy does that to us. That was a special play. It's funny because he accelerated so fast on this play. He looks like he's going so fast. But when you pulled up the next-gen stats, this is actually his slowest (laughs) speed of the three touchdown runs. But it was such a devastating play. It was just him showing his competitiveness, his special ability. That was Anquan Bolden meets Percy Harvin. That was very, very spectacular, very special. And I'd like to add, by the way, Rob, just because now that you brought the dots, it recalls my memory. We didn't mention how good the play design was on the Brandon Ayuk touchdown. The way they put, I think it was Reed Blankship in conflict with the low route where everybody thinks it's going to Jennings and then they bring Ayuk right behind him and throw it right behind it. Um, so that was really, really nice. But uh, continuing on, because this is this is Debo just being a bad man. He catches the ball and he doesn't run around the defenders. He splits two guys and just totally takes away their angle because he's so fast. And he takes it all the way to the house for the touchdown. And I agree with what you said. It was just deflating for the Eagles. Because just when you thought you get back in it, bam, Debo Samuel right up the gut. The guy that you hate, right? The guy that talked all that trash. And here's Debo making the play of the game. And now all of a sudden it's a two-score game again. And you got your work cut out for you. You That touchdown drive you just had is meaningless. And it was like a, it was like what the Eagles like to do, right? Because they're so talented, they like to have these "I'm just better than you" plays where AJ Brown makes some improbable catch or improbable run after a catch that just intimidates everybody. That was a "I'm just better than you" play. The speed he hit, it reminded me of Larry Fitzgerald in the Super Bowl. I've I, I've never seen Larry Fitzgerald hit a gear like that. But you and I were talking about this last week after the show. I think was it you and I that were talking about it? Yeah. We were talking about exactly this and how we've never seen him hit that gear except in the Super Bowl. That was the kind of gear it felt like Debo hit because Slay is fast and Slay is running. And the way he runs by Slay and Slay looks like he's running in quicksand, changing him. That was, that was, that was special. Whatever they got deep, whatever they got from Debo to harness him playing like that. I know he's going to show up for the big games, but there's a very special player in there that if they could get that on week in and week out basis, this team could be that much more dominant. But maybe the specialness of Debo is that you can only bottle up this level of competitive spirit and just sheer will only for games like this. Edgar, shout out to you. Good point. Kittle, as always, making the way for Debo. He did block down the field for Debo. Absolutely. So good call by Edgar. Mm-hmm. And now that touchdown the Eagles just had is, is meaningless because it's a two-score game again. Philly gets the ball back, and it just looked disjointed. They run the ball for two. Jalen Hurts incomplete to Swift. Jalen Hurts scramble, and this was interesting because he scrambles, and Fred Warner is there, like, spying him almost or just in a position to make the play, and Warner doesn't run up the field to try and tackle Jalen Hurts. He stands there and lets Hurts come to him and then makes the stop. It was actually the play that led to Hurts getting checked for a concussion. Eagles don't convert and they punt the ball right back to the 49ers. And that was when Philly was in big trouble. But that was just an example of how ready the Niners were, right? We talked about last week, how the Niners defense actually played well in their first matchup. It was the offensive circumstance that hurt them. But it, to me, 
I, I don't know that they really thought Jalen Hurts was that great of a quarterback. I think they thought he was a good football player for sure. Jalen Hurts is a very good football player, but it felt like if we make him stand in that pocket and we are disciplined with our rush and we don't make mistakes, he's not going to be able to make beat us when we don't make mistakes. And that's where I felt like they, they did that. And Hurts still made a few plays in this game. He still made a few excellent throws, a um, few runs, but there was an, and this could be their offense too. This this might not just be isolated as a Hurst Hurts issue because their offense is a little bit uh, disjointed to me as well. But there was no flow or rhythm to anything Hurts did, and it felt like the Niners were always ready for him QB drawing on a third down or him trying to run out of a clean pocket and stuff like that. Chris Waddell says, to be fair, we got away with a Ronnie Bell hold on that long Debo touchdown. All I know is this. You, you can call holding on every play. If they ain't throw a flag, it wasn't holding. So I'm not worried about that. Brother Bob says, Vish, tomorrow we're calling out Larry for his silly Brandon Ayuk take. Yeah, Ayuk is uh, having a good year despite uh, not leading the world in touchdowns. Although, although ever since Larry motivated him, he's been scoring <laughs> touchdown after touchdown. True. He did have one yesterday, obviously. So Niners get the ball back on the 25-yard line, and it was just a continuation of everything they had been doing to that point. Christian McCaffrey left for seven. Christian McCaffrey left for five. Christian McCaffrey catches the ball out of the backfield. Christian McCaffrey for 15 to the right. Christian McCaffrey again to the right for one. They just pounded the ball down the field. When they didn't give it to Christian McCaffrey, he attracted so much coverage that on third and nine, Brock's able to hit Juwan Jennings, our boy, third and Juwan over the middle for a big chunk play. What a catch that was. And then what do we get? Eli Ricks, high throw. Big catch from Juwan Jennings. Fourth and one at oh, the Eagles. Oh, yes, of course. How we, how, could, how could I not set up your moment? This is Rob Stats Carrera in his living room. He's calling it. He's putting on the Xbox uh, headset, and he's saying, hey, guys, fourth down. We got to go for it. Come on, Kyle. I, and I can just imagine, like, the air. Like, if you know those punch punch things they have at bars that, you know, track how hard you punch? Yes. If if they could track how hard you punch the air, in my imagination, when Kyle went for it on fourth down, you might break the meter, dude. I'm oh. assuming there was a big, ah, let's get it. I almost threw my shoulder out of the socket, fist pumping so hard. It's fourth and one, because here's the thing. It's a 15-point game at the time, right? You could justify... If I if Kyle wanted to kick the field goal there, you could justify it because it would have made it an 18-point game. That's a three-score game. Mm-hmm. So I would have been frustrated, but I would have understand it. But Kyle didn't do that, and he didn't hesitate. And they get the ball, and it's fourth and one, and they run right behind the all-world left tackle. They convert on fourth and one. They continue the drive, and they go get the touchdown, and that was it. Stranglehold on the game. That was the knockout punch. Like, and I love that Kyle didn't settle for the field goal. He said, no, we're keeping our foot on the gas. We've been owning them all game long, and we're not giving them a break. And I hope he, he does it more because that's exactly what he needs to do. I 100% agree with you. And to me, that was a statement to, like, commend his offensive line for how they were playing. That was a point of confidence for him that fourth and one, yeah, I believe we can create that push. Again, another conversation we've had in the past of how this team is not good in short yardage, um, necessarily converting, stopping on either side or converting, and they're not necessarily the best running football team when they're unable to curate opportunities to run the football based on matchups, right? Because their offensive line isn't so great. Well, this was a game their offensive line pretty much kicked butt. Yes, like they, they they kicked butt. 
And that I thought it showed immense confidence in them to go for it on fourth down and just go with the conventional run with Christian McCaffrey. There was no pizzazz to it. There was no motion here, motion this. It was, we're going to do what we've been doing, and we know you can't stop it. And that's exactly what they did. And, yeah, it showed a very confident head football coach, which I agree with you. And I just find it so funny that out of all things in that dominant win, this this is what gives you your satisfaction. Yep, it was one of the most satisfying plays of the game to me because I thought, like, for the first time, Kyle Shanahan and I were seeing the game uh, the same way. Eddie says, Gold Standard always has the best Niners analysis and coverage before and after games. Great job, guys. Thank you very much, Eddie. So what happens? Niners convert on the first down and then on third down where do they go back again Jawan Jennings Juwan. and he stiff arms an Eagles defender I don't know who the hell it Eli was Eli Ricks rookie he, corner from Alabama he, that is our Philly special play all right he because he ejects him out of the club and runs for the touchdown and that was the that was it really that was when the Eagles heart was gone that's when the Eagles stopped believing that they were going to come back and do anything in the game and 100%. 100%. It, it was their kitchen sink call, too, because they went yeah. zero blitz on that play. They were like, all right, here it is, third and five. This is it. If we don't get a stop here, we're not getting a stop. Let's bring the house zero blitz. And Brock Purdy stood right in there and threw hot to Juwan Jennings on an out route. Touchdown City, 35-13 Niners. No comeback happening. No hope for you. Doesn't even matter if you score on the next drive, which the Eagles did. But that's what that play did. It made the Eagles score on the next drive. It was like, instead of, oh, no, it was just, okay. Yeah, pretty much. I, I wish the Eagles didn't score on that drive, by the way. Not that it didn't matter, just because I felt like a 42-13 piece versus Philly and versus Dallas would have been somewhat sweet. But right. I'll take 42-19. to 19. It's okay. I forgive them. But the Niners did a good job because, yes, Philly scored, but it took five minutes and ten right, seconds. Right, And that was basically half of the time that was left in the game. That was, mean, that was the Brown-Smith-Hurt stat pad drive. That's right. when they all accumulated their stats. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And then on the next drive, it's only two plays, but guess what? There goes that man again. Number 19, Debo Samuel. They call a screen to Debo, and I don't remember. I'm sure they've called it before, but I just didn't remember. There were six 49ers out to block for Debo on the screen. He's untouched on the catch and run touchdown. Yeah, 100%. They run a little tunnel screen to him. And to me, Rob, I'm so glad you went there because this, to me, was a, a culmination of how well the Niners offensive line and skill players blocked in this game. Yes, Debo had his moment. Yes, Debo was the big superstar in this game. Yes, the play he made on the 48-yard touch touchdown was like the most breathtaking, the best play of the game. And he backed up every single thing he said for an entire offseason. But but this moment when he goes untouched because of how well they blocked this screen and the way they attack and get to the second level, not only were the Eagles um, giving up in this moment, but I felt like they took all the juice out of them. It was like, yeah, we're up, we're up 35-19 and we're still coming to hit you on this run play. And if you don't, if you if you if we miss hitting you, you gotta go tackle number 19. And they didn't want to do either of those things. That was a backbreaking play. And it was the entire offense, not just uh Kittle to or Debo to me in that moment. You know what that was? That was. And we would have whooped you in the NFC championship game if we had a quarterback like that. Right. Yeah, that was that was the little bit of salt in the wound. Uh-huh. A thousand thousand percent and then the eagles turned it over on downs and then it was sam darnold time and that was the end of it just a how do you feel about that by the way i wanted to ask you 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. About what? It was the only time I, I wasn't... Gets, that he gets to come in on these drives like this. They never gave uh, Mullins these opportunities <laughs> with Jimmy G. Hey, look, I was just not traumatized to see a backup quarterback on the field in Philadelphia. So that's what I was happy about. Um, yeah, whatever. Go ahead, Sam. You could you could take the kneel down. That's great. That's fine. But I loved uh, Trent Williams' line after the game. He was like, I thought we were going to do this. Turns out it's a little different, a lot easier when you have a quarterback. <laughs> it's a line of the post game. Right, right, right. 100%. So that's how the Niners game went. 42-19, two games against their biggest rivals in the NFC. Niners are 2-0. and They outscored the competition 82 to no 84 excuse me to what 33 80 84 to 29 um, to 20 whatever it was nine isn't it 19 plus 13 dallas yeah. was 42 13 right yeah it was 19 30 yeah so that's Rob, did you did you miss a brother about bob super chat i didn't miss it but i get it like you want to you want to talk to larry there you go vish be ready be ready my two dollar super chats this is I what you missed rob Oh, yeah, this this is this is just Brother Bob's thing. Yeah, um, sorry, Brother Bob. Rob, Rob won't miss him next time. It's okay. It's, Go do it on Larry's show, man. I don't want to talk it, about Larry Cooper. Is it is it because you're Rob and he's Bob? Is there like a were you called Bob by somebody earlier in the day? Like and when they were calling you Robert Guerrero, somebody started calling you Bobby and you didn't like that. People always try and call me Bobby because they think it gets under my skin, which is like it's just this whatever. But what no, about Bobby G. I just don't. uh, No, nobody calls me that. I just don't really feel the need to talk about somebody else on my shelf. So, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Niners get the win. They've made a statement to the NFL. This week has been a today has been a coronation. I mean, nobody's saying anything negative about the 49ers. Now it's just a question of whether or not Brock Purdy gets the MVP. Really, Um, we'll find out about that. But it was as good a win as you as you could ever have hoped for. And now, Vish, I mean. The Niners have a legit shot at the number one seed. Eagles play Dallas this weekend. Dallas could very easily win that game. And the Niners obviously have the tiebreaker over the Cowboys. They now have the tiebreaker over the Eagles. And they're ahead of the Lions due to conference record. So that's something that they're going to have to keep up. But they would be the number one seed if everybody wins next week. 100%. It's a great position to be in. And I think where it's also a nice position for the Niners is there's no room for letdown after this similar after similar to the Dallas game. Like this was a great emotional peak, but they're going to play a very desperate Seattle game next week. 
And for the Niners, yeah, it's not a must win in terms of the realm of winning the NFC West or even making the playoffs. Like they're pretty much in good position for that. It would take a catastrophic finish for them not to win those. But the one seed is a real goal. That is definitely something that they uh, should want. That would definitely help them. And in order to get that one seed, I think winning out is probably the most realistic outcome for the 49ers. And if they don't win out, well, they would you would want them to lose one of those games. And to me, I look at that Baltimore game and it's just it's kind of a scary game. That's going to be the one game that's going to be the toughest in the remaining schedule. So they're going to have to find a way to refocus and play a tough, desperate, not a tough, but a desperate Seattle team at home and take care of business. I fully expect them to, but it's not easy for them still. And by no means do they have uh, the ability to slow down either because they need that one seat. And Seattle, it's a division game. The Niners opened to 12 and a half point favorites. They're now 10 and a half point favorites uh, yeah. at home against Seattle. I think w- I wouldn't be shocked if the Niners actually dropped one of the next two games, to be honest with you, because they're coming off at a very emotional game against Philly. Obviously, if they beat the Seahawks, that'll be an emotional game because it's always emotional playing Seattle. And then you got Kyler and the Cardinals on the road in Arizona. I wouldn't be stunned if they dropped one of the next two. We'll see, especially because you got the I agree coming up right after that. I agree. I wouldn't be shocked if there's a little bit of a letdown to start the Seattle game, too. So they're only human. It happened after the Saints game in 2019. They had a very slow start versus Arizona yep. in the next game. I, I Again, I don't know that they're going to have the – they played about at the highest level you can play in all three phases in this last game. They were great on defense. They were unbelievable on offense. They were coached magnificently. And they followed up a very good performance at Seattle, too, in a short week where they shellacked a division opponent. So that's a double whammy. It's not exactly easy in the NFL to just maintain that level of – oh, my gosh. <laughs> to maintain that level of performance. Uh but ultimately, I, I think that they're going to have to find a way. And this is where we're going to have to see them prove that they're one of those special teams. Because it's not just shellacking the good teams when you get yourself ready and get yourself up right. for those games. It's about winning the games that you're not playing your best ball in. And it might be a situation for them just because of managing the emotions of this win and then having to play. Of, Seattle is really desperate. That's the thing with them. They're they're pretty much, if they lose to the Niners, you can pretty much put a bow on their uh, playoff hopes with the Rams winning list this week. And so given all of that, it's going to be a probably a trickier game than the first one versus Seattle was, and they're going to have to manage and win it for sure. Brother Bob says it's vicious show too. My money's going to Vish. Rude. That's what you think, Brother Bob. No, just kidding. Um, but the reason Seattle is desperate is because they keep losing, which means they're not a very good team. So right, yes, right. it's a division game. It's not going to be easy, but the Niners hopefully should win it. So we got a little announcement for people that we should let them know before we wrap up Vish. You are done with us for the year, unfortunately. I am. Yeah. You are going to India and you are not bringing the streaming equipment, which I'm very disappointed about. Where are your priorities? Why aren't you thinking about Gold Standard Podcast Network all the time? You mean, I, well, I was thinking about you specifically, but you're right. I should have put in, been putting the network first. I mean, geez, where are your priorities? So you are going to India and you are going to be back after the new year right yes i'll be back right after the new year january 2nd so i think i'll be i think we'll talk through the after the week 18 game and then we'll be gearing up to preview the playoffs from there hopefully we'll have a week off there 
um, for Niners football. They're not playing Wild Card Weekend. We can relax and talk about uh, Wild Card Weekend. No, my dad will be in India with me. <laughs> Come on. Send me to nine on Twitch. That's his vicious pops filling in. Dude, I would love to have your father on the show. Anytime he wants to come on, I'm on board. Dude, he hates sports media. <laughs> I like, I don't even know. Like sometimes like I feel like he listens to my show because he'll like randomly when we talk about football, bring up a point I might've made and he'll bring it up just to like, say like you were wrong. There. You know what I mean? And then he'll tell me, I don't listen to your show. I don't ever listen to that stuff. Don't bother me with that. But like at the same time, he keeps tabs, but yeah, he hates, hates sports media. Well, I would be for it. He's always welcome anytime. JJ zero zero says we're an international network. Uh, he also says, I want love from India. Where are you headed? Vish? Um, my, so my family comes from the South of India, so I'm headed there. Very cool. Well, I hope you have a great time. I will I will miss you. I will miss talking about the games with you because I feel like I haven't really discussed it until I talk about it with you. So, we'll text. We'll text. Okay. But I will miss it too. I'll miss it too. I really wanted to stream um, from there as well. Unfortunately, it just wasn't feasible um, given the odd times that it would be there with the time difference in the True. streaming and just inability to have proper space to do that there. What is uh, What is the time difference? Uh, it's it's like 11. So right now oh, in India, it would be, I think, 745 in the morning. Wow. Well, we would have worked it out. But anyway, have 645 in the morning, 645 in the morning. As James T. Kirk, YouTube channel member says, right on, Vish, safe travels. Uh, obviously, when you come back, we'll get it rolling again. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do on Mondays. We will have a show on Mondays. Don't worry about that. I don't know if it's going to be, maybe I'll do a call-in show. If, Ooh. if you guys want to do that, I'd love to have a call-in show. I love the interaction. So maybe we do that. I, I'm doing a, I'm doing a call-in show tomorrow, by the way, if, if oh. you're, yeah, I do. I started doing a call-in show on my channel, Jason and I, by the way, tune into Jason and Steph tomorrow here on the gold standard network. Yeah. But Jason and I did one last, uh, uh, week uh, yesterday or and I opened up the YouTube members so you can be a member you don't I I, I don't know if I'm going to do members only to call in because I don't have that many members maybe give members priority on the call in for sure but anybody can call in it dude it's really fun Niners fans are a good conversation some well, of them some of them are real good too they'll come on and it's like dude you should have your own show the way you're rattling off all the stats and with the takes well, that's good because I like to have a conversation. I don't want it to be just me talking at people. I want it to be back and forth. So maybe that's what we're going to do. You used to do those spaces on Monday morning. Those used yeah. to be real good. The origin yeah. of you and I actually talking about doing a show on Mondays. It's true. So maybe I can get back at that a little bit while you're gone. But we will miss you. Have a safe trip. Safe travels. Everybody like and subscribe to Vicious YouTube channel and the Gold Standard YouTube channel. If you're new to the show, thank you so much. We are live every single day here on the Gold Standard Podcast Network, so make sure you like and subscribe. Hit the little bell. You'll know every time we go live. We are so grateful for all your support and all the YouTube channel members. Thank you, everybody. Vish, have a good trip, and we'll talk tomorrow. 100%. Happy holidays, everybody.